parents think that media literacy means knowing fake news versus facts. It's brainwashing children to not listen to independent journalists or organization like Epoch and to instead only go back to the mainstream media. In this episode, I sit down with Alvin Louis, a bona fide magician turned parental rights advocate, to understand the latest woke programming that's making its way into K-12 education. The Biden administration just had this agency now proposing to do home visits to parents who are homeschooling their kids because the children might be abused at home because the parents don't believe that they could be born in the wrong body. So that's the next wave, that's the next move. Alvin is the founder of Courage is a Habit, which provides tools and educational resources to counter woke indoctrination in schools. Responsible decision-making means something very different to parents than what these ideologues are doing in schools. They use your vocabulary, not your dictionary. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. Alvin Louie, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me. It's, it was an honor last time to come, and I'm so happy to see you again this time. Well, it, it's been about a year since we, since we interviewed in the past, and I continue to be amazed and, I guess, inspired by the materials that you create for parents with Courage as a Habit. Of course, you're a nonprofit. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a kind of magic to it, isn't there? <laughs> we like to think so. Uh, we like to, to inspire people to stand up for their children and adopt courage as a habit in their homes. Uh, we very rarely say that we're going to fight for someone's children. We always say we're going to teach you to fight for yours because as every parent's uh, God-given responsibility, and we, we believe that the parents, beyond anybody else, is the first, last, and best line of defense to protect their children, to teach their children, and certainly not government public schools. Well, and I just want to mention, you know, that the name Courage is a Habit, right? I, I, I want you to explain why. When I first started speaking to parents, uh, just in Indiana, um, I started to open my speeches after a few months, and I said, now everybody here is probably pretty successful in some way or another. You've bought houses, you've started businesses, you've raised families. Why do you have to come to an event on a Thursday night or a weekend or a Friday night to listen to a stranger explain to you how to protect your children? Everyone knows how to protect your children. People have crossed oceans and deserts just to give their children a, a better life. So it's innate in us to protect our children. What's so special about today when someone can point a finger at your face, call you a transphobe or a racist or a bigot, and all of a sudden you can't stand up for your children? And I explain this because we've made fear a habit. Over years, this woke ideologies made people feel guilt over nothing. They made people feel like you're not being kind or you're not being inclusive enough or diverse enough. And everybody just gave a little, gave a little. All right, I'll, I'll put that rainbow sticker on my laptop. All right, I'll put that black square on my social media. Then now, when they're coming for your children, fear is now a habit. And I told them, but the good news is, courage is also a habit. Every time you want to say something and you go, oh, what is my coworker going to think? What is my family going to think? What are social media people going to think? And your heart's coming out of your chest and you say it anyway. It may not feel like it next time, but it gets a little bit easier. Well, it's like, it's like a muscle. That's another analogy that, that I've heard. You know, you just you have to kind of work it out a little bit. If everybody knows that if you're trying to get in shape, whether you're trying to lose weight or gain muscle, that going to the gym, doing certain things, eating a certain way is going to do it. 
Now, if you go to the gym for one week and you look in the mirror, nothing's going to happen. Now, we, don't, we can't tell you when because everybody's body is different. But we know if you're consistent enough over the course of a year, you will look different, whatever your goals are. You just don't know when it's going to happen. Courage is the same thing. Maybe some people go, oh, after the 10th time of speaking up, I don't feel that fear anymore. I don't care if someone calls me a racist or a, or a transphobe. Maybe some person will take the 15th time or the 20th time. I can't tell you when. But I can tell you, if you make that a habit, you will not feel that fear if you do it consistently enough. And that's why we call the organization Courage is a Habit. Well, tell me where your work has focused over the last year, because I know that that's changed. You know, there's, there's all, we, we've discussed this in the past, there's all sorts of ideological mm -hmm. capture in, in the institutions, especially in K-12, in the academy. Um, that's where you focus. Yes. And, and how have people's attitudes changed? Are we moving in the right direction or are we moving in the wrong direction? We are absolutely moving in the right direction. Uh, even two years ago, even a year ago, the way people were talking about standing up for this was a lot more defensive. Today, people are a lot more offensive-minded because they understand that the, the people coming after our children is not an honest conversation. And just for the record, what, is, what do you mean, coming after our children? There are organizations, uh, NGOs, government entities, coming in K public education, K through 12, and in colleges, of course, that are inserting programs into schools. One big one is social-emotional learning. It's a Trojan horse disguised as mental health that rewires and rewrites a child's uh, values and worldviews. It's what's brought in all the critical race theory, ideology. It's what's brought in the transgender cult. It's brought in ch uh, climate change activism, all the pornography in schools. But it's, so, it's, it's that and more. It's anything that's very radical that they want to insert in a child's mind, they can do it under this emotional health, social emotional learning type of programming. And when it first started coming in, when we started talking about this in 2019, 2020, everybody just didn't know what to say about it because it sounded like you just want kids to feel included. Don't you want kids to feel included? Now we see that parents are going, okay, I get the scam. I get the psychological gambit. It's not about inclusion, it's not about diversity. So your question was, how have we evolved over the year ago when we were talking very tactically about what's happening? What we've evolved is that instead of only focusing on the, on the technical aspect of what's happening to children, this past year, in 2023, we've really focused on how parents are the ones who were brainwashed first. And the way we've been teaching parents and training parents is two ways. The first way is that it's how they've weaponized your kindness. They use words that no parent would ever disagree with, like empathy, compassion, inclusiveness. What parents didn't understand was that those words were used to get them to either stand down because of guilt or go away because they think, oh yeah, that the schools are teaching that. And what they really mean, for example, like with empathy is, it's not about what parents teach their little kids, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. How would you feel if that happens to you? It's if a man walks into a woman's restroom and, a, and that young girl feels that, that uh, reaction is to go, no, you have empathy for him because he's marginalized. And that's weaponizing kindness because uh, they are doing something, which is the second thing that we teach parents, called language contamination. And the easiest way to describe language contamination 
is that they use your vocabulary, but not your dictionary. They use your vocabulary uh, kind of against you. You don't you don't actually understand the definition of the word. You know, one thing that you know at this event that we've both been attending uh, the last uh, the last day. You know, yeah. it's incredible how you can take something like Title Nine, yeah, which provides protect supposed to provide protections, right, for women and so forth. And but if you just change the definition slightly, it can actually have the exact opposite effect. That's right. And so they do that in K through 12 in a variety, a variety of ways, the, the using your vocabulary but not your dictionary. And I'll give you one. Um, responsible decision making. Who doesn't want responsible decision making in their children's lives? All good parents teach that. But when you and I, and most parents listening to this, think about responsible decision making, maybe you make your bed, do your homework, listen to your parents, and you get a little older is to drive responsibly and have good credit. What they mean, when I say they, I mean the people that are pushing the critical race theory, the transgender ideology, all that. Responsible decision making is if you're white and you become a voting age, you gotta vote for reparations. That's your responsible decision making. If you're not white, then it's your responsibility to dismantle the system, to tear down the systems, to go into an office and say, how come there's not enough representation? How come the bathrooms aren't inclusive? Responsible decision-making means something very different to parents than what these ideologues are doing in schools. They use your vocabulary, not your dictionary. So we teach parents this. Every time a school tells you, oh, we're just teaching this, that's all. Ask yourself this one question. Through whose lens is that trait being taught? I'll give you an example. Traits are not good or bad by its nature we infuse positive or negative connotations to traits to, because we're a civilized society, we're the kind people. Here's an example. Sometimes you get these manhunts for these serial killers. They, 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 police chase them for months, maybe even years. And you finally catch them and then the community breathes a sigh of relief because you've caught this serial killer and now he's off the streets and people are safe again. But you'll notice that every time we catch a serial killer, people don't go, Hey, that guy, he's a good goal setter. He had a goal, and unfortunately, he exceeded some goals. He had tenacity. He was resourceful. He led a police on a manhunt for six months or a year. They couldn't catch him. Uh, he, he, never, he never gave up. He had grit. He went after that one victim, victim number five. He waited for her night after night, and he could never get in her house until he found a way. We don't use those terms like grit, goal setting, uh, tenacity, resourcefulness to a serial killer. But if you think about it, doesn't he have all those traits? Absolutely he does. He just applied it really awful. Traits inherently are not good or bad. There's no negative or positive. They're just traits. It depends on who's using it. It depends on who's teaching it. This is why we teach parents through whose lens are those traits being taught in schools. And today, unfortunately, in government K-12, those traits are taught through the lens of a critical race theorist and a transgender cult recruiter. We've done some work now this past year on public schools. And we've- on pri private schools. Excuse me, yeah. private schools, yes, yeah. private schools. And we found schools that are $30,000 a year to $50,000 a year, and they're just as bad as any government K through 12 that we've, that we've seen. 
Maybe, uh, you know, for those of us that aren't familiar with you, some of your viewers will be from, from our last interview, maybe just give me a sense of how you got into this in the first place. Because, you know, I, I was alluding to this a little bit earlier, but you're actually, your you're stock and trade is you're actually a magician. I am. That's true. Yes, my pre, uh, most of my life I spent being a professional illusionist, a uh, magician, mostly for high-end uh, parties and uh, corporate uh, leaders when they get their get-together and their suites and things like that, uh, trade shows in Vegas and things of that nature. And I loved it. This was something that I really wanted to do since I was a little boy. It was something that I thought I would do for, for the rest of my life. When I, you know, when, when I moved my family from California to Indiana, really didn't want to raise children in California. I just, I didn't want to fight anymore. California was long gone, it was lost to me, and I didn't want to spend my life fighting. And a lot of people, until they have kids, don't really understand just, just how awful the crime and the schools and all those different things. So when I got to Indiana, obviously there was so much, I, I love Indiana and, and most of these states that are red states are ran extremely well, but I saw the same seeds planted that ruined my old home. Uh, but I saw them in the schools. And so it was like watching an old movie all over again, except that I went back 20 years. I thought I had 20 years. I was wrong. I maybe had less than 10 because things move a lot. The indoctrination of children moves a lot faster now. Uh, I always say that people aren't leaving from, you know, in the dead of night on a boat escaping the United States to Cuba or Venezuela. So if this country goes the way it looks like it's going to go, with these systems already being torn down, with the children being weaponized and, and, and this new Red Guard, like Mao Zedong's Red Guard being created here, there's nowhere else for my children to go. There's nowhere else for your children or anybody's children to go if America goes. And so it was a, the decision to focus on this rather than what I've done most of my life was not an easy one for sure. But if I'm asking parents to sacrifice, uh, to give up things, to stand up for the children just a little bit, I felt like I had to give up something that I really loved first uh, so that I'm not, a, I'm not a hypocrite. What's interesting is for the longest time, I focused on what I was doing with Courage as a Habit, almost, almost ignoring that other side of what I used to do for the longest time. So, so, but I still think like an illusionist because there's no other ways I can think. And so when I see a lot of these psychological gambits, these sleight of mouth, these things that they do to parents, I see how effective it is because I spent most of my life trying to keep that secret for the guise of entertainment. The difference is when you're an illusionist and people come to your show, they voluntarily suspend disbelief so that they can be entertained. So they're entertained for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. But what the woke ideology is doing to parents, they're not letting anybody go. They're holding them hostage. They're, that they're, they're inserting that illusion over and over and over again through academia, through the media, through social media, through movies. And so it's a constant, there's no theater to leave. And that's what I'm seeing that's happening uh, to parents, to good people, business owners, everyone. You know, you, the term you hear about with magicians, with illusionists is this, it's all about sleight of hand. Right. Right? Right. And so, so how, what what it would be an example of an illusion that's maintained this way? That well, how about I show you? How about I show you a simple, uh, a quick illusion? People, I think the vernacular is a misdirection. That's where people always think misdirection. But the the the, the secret that magicians we don't talk about it's um, it's really misattention. Because misdirection basically says, "Look over here, and I'm going to do this." 
But the problem is misdirection is, it's a, is a very kind of um, not a very sophisticated way to get your moves across. And so I'll give you an example, and then I'll show you an illusion. So if I was going to rob you, if I was going to take your wallet, I could point a gun to you and mug you. That's a very vulgar way to take your wallet. It works because you're seeing the gun, you're going to give me your wallet. But the problem is you could fight back. Someone could see me. You could call the cops as soon as I leave. So it's a very ugly way to take your wallet, but it doesn't take any skill to smugging you. The other way I can take your wallet is I can pickpocket you. Now that takes a lot of skill. That takes a lot of not misdirection, but misattention. Someone's going to come up. I'm going to have a woman come up, a pretty woman come up and ask you for directions. Someone's going to spill something on your jacket. Someone's going to bump you. Someone's going to ask you something. Someone's going to hold your attention and I can take your wallet. You may not even know it for 30 minutes, for an hour. Maybe you think you dropped it. Maybe you thought it's in another jacket. By the time you call the cops and realize you've been, or you've been pickpocketed, I'm long gone. That's what's happening today. We're not telling parents, we're not going to parents' home, not yet anyway, and saying, I'm gonna grab your kids and throw them into the gender clinic. They're saying, if you don't let your child uh, take that puberty blocker, they're gonna kill themselves. It's a much more sophisticated way for parents to give up their children, and that's misattention. Hmm. So what's this trick you want to show me? <laughs> We're going to get it on camera. All right. So I want you to just uh, examine these two rubber bands. Go ahead and take a look at them. Yep, they seem like legit normal rubber bands. And now, those are the rubber bands I got from your offices, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so these are not my rubber bands. These are rubber bands that I got from you guys when I got here, right? Okay. So I'm going to show you a uh, classic of magic, which is uh, a solid passing through a solid. I'm going to take the band. We'll drop it right behind here, okay? Now, a solid can pass through a solid, and we realize this, and we know this, right? So I can't come out this way or this way. I can't go down. I can't go up. And I can't come out this way. Now, I want you to feel that. Is that really locked in there? This is not an illusion. You can actually feel that. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody, on, everybody watching this can see that stretch and see that tension on the two rubber bands because a solid can't pass through a solid, right? If I give it a rub here, you can see it almost slowly melt through. Just like that. That's astonishing. I don't know how you did that. I hope not. I, I literally don't know how you did that. <laughs> So that's an example of misattention. So let, let, let me just ask this question. I don't know what you did exactly. I know that you, the solid didn't pass through the solid. Sure, of course not. Um, how long did it take you to teach yourself how to do that? That particular move there, probably six months and losing a lot of rubber bands <laughs> and snapping people unexpectedly, <laughs> a lot. So that's, so that's interesting. Right? It also takes some skill. That's what, this is what you were talking about. Like that, that's, that's a big commitment to a rubber band trick. It's a lot of commitment to a, just one, one illusion. It takes a lot, it, one trick, it takes a lot of commitment. But a lot, but there's so much that goes on there. There's obviously the physical sleight of hand, but there's also a lot of misattention. There's also a lot of, I focus you where I want, I focus the audience where I want them to focus. Now on camera, it's gonna probably look a little different. When you do it live, you can move people's attention where you want to. And sadly, this is where I'm seeing a lot of the things that illusionists use for entertainment. We're seeing that now in the public discourse, um, in the way they talk about COVID vaccines and masks and J6 uh, and police brutality and uh, all the stuff that we see in schools. You know, you, you see that there is 
pornography in schools, but these people will call it book bans. When they do surveys, they'll say, do you agree with banning books? 90% of parents say no. That's a slight of mouth. They don't ask, do you agree with pictures of blowjobs in middle schools and high schools? Do you agree with books telling second graders that they can be born in the wrong body? They don't ask that question. They ask, do you agree with banning books? That's a slight of mouth. That's asking the question in a way where you get the answers. And in magic, we, we often do that. We ask the questions in a way where we get the answer that we want. You know, I want to go back to this. Something caught my attention with this, the fact that it took you a while to figure out the trick. Sure. To, to be able to do it in a way that you feel confident that I'm not going to figure out what you did. Is there some kind of educational process that this that these people who are so committed to you know taking over the education system to you know you you, you described it as a kind of a, the, the red guard right mm -hmm. so this like Shiva and Fleet in Mao's America Great you know, book, kind yeah. of a cultural a cultural revolution very very compelling account of similarities all of this right but but it wasn't it's not necessarily like there was a ready to go program. Right. It was, there was some kind of learning process. Have you thought about that? Yes, and this is, uh, I alluded to that a little bit, is that weaponizing your kindness, that's one of it here. I think the way Mao did it, because that the history in China, he, it, there was a huge famine. There was such a huge black hole that he took advantage of in that power. In America, this is still a first world country. We have a constitution. Our life here is pretty good, even though the middle class is shrinking. So we didn't have this gigantic vacuum that, the, that these people that are these Marxists that are now taking over could take advantage of, so they had to create it. And the way, the best way to create it is to cre it's, it's causing chaos. There's many ways to cause chaos, but dismantling the family and dismantling businesses, dismantling systems is, is, is one of the most effective way. But you can't just come in and say, hey, I want your children, your children are born in the wrong body. You can't do that. That's, Mugging, that's me pointing a gun to your, and taking your wallet, that's very vulgar. So this is how they do it. This is the process, this is the, the learning process. They'll want to put a rainbow sticker in the schools. And then some parents will go, why are you putting a rainbow sticker? That represents things I don't believe in. And they'll say, don't you want kids to feel included? What's the big deal? You're making a big deal out of nothing. Then they go, okay, kind people, let them do a sticker. Then the next thing is like they're going to release an equity statement or a non-anti-bullying statement. And then they'll be like, why are you putting that in? We're not, if you, someone's bullying, you punish them. We have rules in place for school. Why do you need a statement? Don't you want kids to feel safe? We want a, the community to come together. Okay, fine, do the statement. And then they keep going and keep going. And now you've got school counselors taking, saying the parents are abusive and unsafe. And recently, the, the Biden administration just had this uh, agency that are now proposing to do home visits to parents who are homeschooling their kids for parents who don't believe in this ideology because the children might be abused at home because the parents don't believe that they could be born in the wrong body. So that's the next wave. That's the next move to coming into the homeschools. The parents are unsafe and abusive and don't you want kids to feel safe? It's the same psychological gambit. It's just, it's called compliance. And so I'll give you another example from my old world especially when you're doing close-up magic. When you're doing stage magic, you control the stage and then there's the lights and you bring people up. But largely when you bring people up on a stage, 
they don't really do anything. They're just observe. They're just touching the props, but there's nothing they can do to break anything unless they like kick it or something. But when you do close-up magic or parlor magic, people are really in your space and they feel like they can touch and do things. Here's what I mean. If I see somebody and I want them to hold something and I'm not sure if they're going to listen to my instructions or not, I'll ask them this one simple question. Are you right-handed or left-handed? If the person goes, oh, I'm right-handed, I'll go, okay, now that's compliance number one. And I'll say, okay, go ahead and put out your right hand and I'm going to give them something to hold. And they, if they do that, they put out their right hand and I put something on their hand and they don't mess with it, I'll know that it's safe to give them something that might reveal the, the, the illusion or the, or the magic trick. But if I say, are you right-handed or left-handed, and the person goes, why? Then I know I can't give that person anything. Or if I say, if they say right-handed, I'll say, put out your right hand, and then they purposely put out their left hand. They're not buying into the, the, the process of the, of the trick. So if they do that, then I'll give them something to hold, but it won't matter what I give them. And then they'll mess with it, they'll do all these different things, and end up, those people actually become actually a very helpful for, for an illusionist because they seem like they're looking at everything and then when the illusion works out anyway, the audience go, man, this guy was really, really messing with him and he, that guy couldn't find anything. So it actually adds to it. But when early ma magicians who kind of start off that way, they get very nervous dealing with people like that because they think they're gonna mess them up. And so you have to learn how to you know, test compliance. That's what's happening to parents today and then the example I gave you of the stickers. Come on, it's just a sticker. What's the big deal? Now you know what parents are going to be okay with it, what parents mm. not. The, the little and which ones are asking for written statements or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. That's their, are you right-handed or left-handed? It's just a sticker. I'm just asking if you're right-handed or left-handed, what's the big deal? And that's the process. And so it's, it's you know, seeing this happen to people uh, on, a, on a global, national level, uh, using a lot of the same, same psychological gambits that we use in entertainment, it's been very disheartening uh, to be honest. Your, you know is a habit formulation it's like it's almost like this compliance became a habit mm -hmm. right? yeah that's a good way to put it yeah that will be the next nonprofit I start compliance <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you credit for it but it's a very profound idea actually because we, we for whatever reason we are in a society where compliance is enshrined Tell me a little bit more about some of the some of the materials that you've developed because that's that's when I first became aware of you mm -hmm. um, was through these ver what I found to be very simplifying materials that you were providing to parents. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we produce products and tools and strategies that are easy to consume, that are graphically very beautiful. Uh, we distill it down to things that the average parent can understand. They don't have to spend ten hours reading it. And most importantly, we always give them a call to action. That's what courage is a habit uh, it really is about. It's about action, it's about staying on offense. But there's a couple of things I think last year I was really extremely proud of um, that we did. One of them was exposing what I would say 99% of parents still don't know, and it's called media literacy. Uh, we have a product that you'll link on your show notes uh, called the um, uh, Mainstream Misinformation Infiltration. And it's featuring an organization called the News Literacy Project. Now, just because your school doesn't use them specifically does not mean they're not using this scam called media literacy. But the product that we produce exposed them. They call themselves nonpartisan, but every journalist, every ambassador, every leader that they have is extremely left-wing. But they tout these people as nonpartisan and that they're credible sources.
So today, many states already have a media literacy program. And here comes the language contamination. The word literacy, what parent don't, doesn't want their child to be literate? In fact, we have a horrible literacy rate right now for reading. But when they say media literacy, the way they sell it to parents is, don't you, the, there's so much going on in social media today. Don't you want your kids to be able to decipher between misinformation, disinformation, and facts? And parents go, of course I do. Just like when they used to ask parents, don't you want kids to feel included? Same gambit, just different words. Same psychological gambit. So now, parents think that media literacy means knowing when someone has actually fake news versus facts. What the media literacy and organization like the News Literacy Project is doing, it's, it's brainwashing children to not listen to independent journalists or organization like Epoch or like what Chris Rufo's doing and to instead only go back to the mainstream media because they know that people's trust in the mainstream media is all but zero. You can walk down the streets and even people who are not very political, if you ask them, do you trust the mainstream media? Most of them will go, no, not really, because they've lied over and over and over again. And for those people who were pretty blind to it, COVID certainly woke up a lot of people with the mask and the vaccines and things. And so the media literacy programs in school they're currently telling students to continue listening to three-letter government agencies and mainstream media, and that's what media literacy is today. And we, did, we found that last year, um, and there's already four or five states that are mandating it as a graduation requirement, and about 15 or so states uh, that um, have it in some way, shape, and form, and it's counting. They're going to try to get into all 50 states. And so you're talking about this specific program that you've studied now and that you've, you've explained to me that focuses on certain corporate legacy media entities as being the sole sources of, of truthful information. That's exactly right. And of course, guess who's supporting an organization like News Literacy Project? All the legacy media, all the NBCs and CBSs and CNN. They even touted BuzzFeed as one of their credible sources. They've got these journalists who are completely left-wing touting as their nonpartisan. Well, and, and, and who believe, well, many of whom believe in so-called advocacy journalism. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the, which, which, you know, another way to call that is propaganda creation, mm -hmm. right? That there's a narrative, yeah. the media should yeah. uh, reflect that narrative, narrative first, mm -hmm. right? That kind of thing. I mean, it was, it's still very difficult for people to understand that this type of journalism is actually what's being taught in many of the top journalism schools right now. Right. right. And that's exactly what is in K through 12 today and increasingly um, to make it a graduation requirement. So you can imagine if you can brainwash children to go back to listening to mainstream media again, how absolutely dangerous that is because now they can feed these kids anything they want and independent journalists that are doing really good work and good documentaries and good reporting, they won't even take the time to look at it to let, because there's no critical thinking in schools. Well, it's so, you know, if there's anything we've learned over the past few years is how powerful, you know, how, how powerful that type of indoctrination can be even when you have some 
resiliency to it inherently because some people are more resilient to it than others, sure. right? Yes, right. But irrespective, it still leaves an impression and it kind of pushes you. And even with so many people realizing that there's, you know, the mainstream media is not is not uh, very credible, right? It's still it's still effective. It is. Yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. it is. So, so which states? Which states are these? It's uh, California, New Jersey, Delaware, and uh, Texas. Almost every state has some form of it. Some states are funding more, and those four states are doing graduation requirements. Uh, Maine is pushing it now in the next session. So I would say for parents, even though if you don't live in one of those four states that have it currently as a graduation requirement, it is very likely that your school or your state education board has already have some form of media literacy. So you have to just search your website, search your state's education website and type in media literacy and there'll probably be some sort of program, whether they use news, news literacy media or not, or news literacy project or not, there'll be some form of that. Go to your school uh, and say, show me the organization that you're using for this media literacy program. And then of course you wanna opt them out of those, um, out of those uh, classes. Even more important than that, I advise parents to get 10 or 15 other parents together and go in and push back against your school to say this should not be a, a graduation requirement because if you don't get enough people to push back, the school's gonna try to run you around. Likely, this is still fairly in the earlier stages compared to all the other indoctrination programs. If you can get 10 or 15 parents, doesn't take a lot, just 10 or 15 parents, and you push back on this, this is just starting into your school. It hasn't baked in hard yet. So this is the time to push back while we've caught something very early and we caught it uh, this year, and we caught it when they were about a year in. So they're about a year and a half in to doing their program. They have a four-year plan to get into all 50 states. Alvin, so, you know, as we finish up, a big take-home from me here is that, you know, when you're approaching the education of your kids, nothing is what it seems. You have to assume that nothing is what it seems. Right. And dig a little deeper and act to remove your kids from situations where, where you know, you believe indoctrination is happening? I think the, the bigger takeaway, I think, for everybody, and, and we've been guilty about this too, we talk about it will be dismantled. What we have to accept that the system has already been dismantled. We're not in the preventing them from dismantling the system. We're in the preventing them from rebuilding it into their own image. So it's a, a little bit like um, some bo a person's body being possessed by demons. It still looks like your friend. It still looks like your brother, but it's no longer your brother. It's been possessed by a, by a demon, by a spirit, or if you watch zombie movies. But today, whether it's the medical, whether it's the American Academy of Pediatrics, whether it's USA Boxing, or K through 12, or any of the, of the companies that we've seen, Bud Light, Target. The mistake that I think a lot of us, and again, I'll, I'll be the first to say we've been guilty of this too. When we say dismantle, we assume eliminate. We think they're gonna tear down the systems and eliminate it. That's not what they're doing. They're tearing it down from the inside and rebuilding it and possessing it with this ideology, but the outside still looks the same. This is why people go, well, the American Academy of Pediatrics says it's okay to trans kids. They're the experts, right? They've been around for a long time. Well, you're not gonna to listen to the American Academy of Pediatrics? They didn't change the name. This logo still looks the same. 
but is no longer that system. It's like the American School Counselor Associations, and which is what we're, Courage is a Habit is really one of the things we're known for, is exposing the school counselors. The American School Counselor Association has been around for a long, long time. They've been around for decades. But it wasn't until about 2014 when they started transforming into these social justice activists. They're still called the American School Counselor Association. Their logo hasn't changed, but their mission's changed. So same thing with Bud Light or Target. Think about how long Bud Light's been around. St. Mary's College, all-girls St. Mary's College, been around for 186 years. Last year, they wanted to enroll men into college, and they, got, they lost a ton of donors, and they pulled it back. For 186 years, St. Mary's College, all-girls college, never thought about letting a man in, but they did this year, and they paid for it. And this is not a message of negativity or doom and gloom. This is actually a message of hope. And the reason why this is a message of hope is if we continue to try to hold on to something that we think we can save and bring back, that's living in limbo, and that's living in a false reality. It's not going to help anybody. In fact, that's going to help us fight the wrong way. We have to accept that the system has already been taken over. It's already been dismantled. The dismantling is done. We're in the rebuilding phase. So the only question is, are we going to stop them from rebuilding in their image? Or are we going to win and get them out of these institutions so that we can rebuild it in the way that it should be, which is based on the Constitution, based on American values? You know, I can't help but think of, uh, you know, Bill Ackman's recent, you know, activism at Harvard, yeah. right? Yeah. Sort of, you know, you're kind of watching in slow motion the realization, wow, DEI is not DEI. No. Right? Right. right. What, what, tell, what, what do you make of that? And what, I, I guess, do you, do you see this as a kind of inflection point? Oh, I do. Um, tell me about that. So the thing that just kind of came to my mind, it's a funny you asked me that question because this is a conversation um, that I've been having the last few days. Because, and we call it die. We don't even call it DEI. We call it DIE, right? Uh, everything, everything die touches dies. But what's interesting is that we have now pulled people from all walks of life that should not be in this fight. Bill Ackman, he's a, he's a, a, a Wall Street guy. You've got people who are from Korea and China that are older women, older men, that just want to live their life here. You've got people who are painters and artists. You've got people who are architects. You've got people who are biologists. You've got people who are doing things. They were perfectly happy going about their lives, doing their passion, doing their careers, having nothing to do with this. Now, all these great minds, these people that don't believe in equity, these people that believe in self-preservation and risk-taking and hard work and taking risk and not blaming everybody else because the system's... Uh, there's white supremacy or there's an oppression. People that don't believe in all that, people who are actually very, very high achieving in their fields are now coming together in the same room going, how do we beat this? So what's interesting, and this is my message of hope, is that the people, these woke ideologists, these die people, these critical race theorists, these intersectionality people, these people that want to just continue to tear down America, the mistake that they made is that they didn't realize, they didn't see that doing this and being so insufferable and so narcissistic has now brought in some of the most best minds and the hardest workers into a space that should never be in that space. And so someone like myself, who is an entertainer, who entertains for a living, why am I sitting in the same room as a biologist or someone who is a, a wonderful journalist? Why am I sitting here with someone like you? 
and I'm in a room with these people that I would have never met who are brilliant. A lot more brilliant than a magician doing uh, tricks for people. But we're now adding our, taking the things that we used to do and putting it into this fight and helping average Americans, everyday, hardworking Americans going, no, you can do something too. Well, Alvin Louie, it's so good to have you on again. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Thank you all for joining Alvin Louie and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek. Thank you.